This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio, episode number 48. Today you will meet an amazing leader. His exciting career spans being a rock star, a Ph.D. chemist, an executive at Exxon, founding a multi-million dollar Silicon Valley company, becoming an acclaimed movie producer, and now owning a five-star hotel, spa, and business center near Prague where he teaches his unique formula for being a great leader. His career and leadership secrets are what you're going to get a taste of today. This includes the four questions to ask yourself so you can discover what's really important to you, the fulfillment formula sequence you can follow to achieve what you truly want, and many ideas to improve your leadership skills. And listen for a special offer at the end of the show on how to get free chapters of my new program, The Winning Career. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur, join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. Today on Women's Leadership Success, we'll be talking with a really incredible man. I'm really excited about this interview. We're talking with Renaissance man James Cusimano. He has not only had one successful profession, he has had the distinct pleasure of five different successful careers. Starting out as the lead singer for the Royal Teens, he then became a research scientist and executive at Exxon. Following that, he co-founded Catalytica Incorporated, a booming Silicon Valley company with divisions in clean energy and pharmaceuticals. He then became a filmmaker, producing the movie What Matters Most, and ultimately he and his wife created Chateau Maselli, a five-star hotel and spa near Prague. And throughout his myriad of careers, Cusimano has pursued his passions and found true purpose and balance in life. He shares his wisdoms and insights in his compelling new book, Balance the Business-Life Connection. Welcome, Jim. It's great to be here. Thank you for that very nice introduction, uh, Sabrina. I appreciate it very much. You're very welcome, and I've so enjoyed reading your book and um, really excited to talk to you. you. You've had multiple careers in your life, and you seem to have transitioned easily from one career to the next. How did you know when to change careers? And this is not just an idle question. Mm-hmm. Lots of women um, have this challenge, and men too. So, Sure, sure. Well, I think <laughs> I'm a, maybe I'm a mystic as well. That probably reflects my age, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I th- I'm a real believer um, that you create your own reality. In fact, I, I wrote a whole book about it. My last book was called Cosmic Consciousness. It's a lot, consciousness. It's a lot more esoteric than, than balance. But um, I do really believe that. And, but I think in order to create your own reality, what you really want in, in your life it's very the critical thing is absolutely to know your life purpose and um actually 
I think, I believe, that uh, when we were, are young, somewhere between the ages of 5 and 15 years of age, we probably have a sense of it. We don't, we don't think of that as our life purpose, but we have a sense of what really is special inside of us and what, what ultimately can, uh, can result in a, in a very fulfilled life. But along the way, uh, I have found, and I've seen it in other people's lives, you meet people or events uh, and that's why I talk, my first chapter is called On the Shoulders of Giants. It's a quote from Sir Isaac Newton when he was asked how he did such wonderful things, is that he stood on the shoulders of giants. And I, I think we all do that. I don't think anybody uh, does anything wonderful in this world without the help or guidance or insight of someone. The key, though, is, um, is to be able to listen uh, carefully, because otherwise these giants in your life will give you information, input, and uh, and and you just won't get it. You, it'll go past you. And maybe the best thing would be for me to to give you an example of um, of how you do that. Yes. Um, I think um, in in what I mean, it's important to listen. I was um, after I left uh, rock and roll with the Royal Teens and uh, and got a doctorate in uh, physical chemistry. I became a research scientist at at Exxon. Um, there was my boss, John Sinfeld, who was a, a real star, now deceased, but a real star in catalytic technology. I was working for him, and uh, um, and ultimately he promoted me to his job because he found out in his own life that he didn't really want to be an administrator, research administrator. He liked doing the science and creating technology. So I got promoted to become the director of catalytic research, and it was wonderful. However... I found it uh, challenging for me personally. There's nothing, this is not a value judgment, but for my personal value, I found it challenging to be in a bureaucratic organization. Exxon was the largest company in the world at the time. And I kept dreaming about forming my own company. And one day I talked to John about this. And he, instead of saying, oh, my God, I'm going to lose this guy, and, you know, he's really something I've been his, uh, his sponsor, if you want to use the old way of talking about things, uh, instead of doing that, he talked to me constantly about what was important to me, and ultimately he was the giant on whose shoulders I sat to realize, one, that catalytic technology was going to be really incredibly important in the world, and two, this was a way for me to move forward and follow my dream and my passion to create a company that would make a difference in the world. And that happened in every single one of those transitions from the music industry uh, to to uh, corporate America, Exxon, to, um, to Silicon Valley as an entrepreneur, to making a film uh, with my first and now deceased wife, uh, Jane, and then ultimately to uh, moving to Prague to uh, renovate a holistic castle, hotel, and spa. Um, that... That all of that happened because I met someone and I listened to them. The only credit I can give myself is for listening because the, the dream, the idea that addressed and spoke to my passion came from someone and said, hey, did you ever think about this? And I really would encourage people to be quiet sometimes uh, and think about their life. What is their passion? And uh, I think that's very, very important. I like what you're saying and I, I want to add something to that. When you When you meet a giant, when you when something's coming to you that this is the next step, do you find that you feel something in your body? Um, my experience is I'm, there's a, an excitement that happens in my body that lets yes. me know 
And you know where it happens? It happens right in your chest, in your, in your, uh, what I guess what the, the Buddhists would call your spiritual heart, not your physical heart, but right in the middle. You, f- you know how you feel when you feel excited? You feel this thing inside of you, and, and there's just nothing that will let go. And it's, you, you know that you've discovered something important. Right, you've it's connected. a thermometer. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Exactly. And um, that's, that's so exciting. So, and, and feeling that feeling and also being present, because if you're not present, you can't notice the giant, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You, you have to be present. And in this um, digital age and, you know, very complex environment with so much going on and so much information coming at you, um, it's really tough to be present, and you got to. Pra- it's a. It requires a practice, but it can get easier with practice if you practice listening um, to understand, not listening to hear, but listening to understand, and try to be present as much as you can. To, to be, I, I get Eckhart Tolle says, the power of now. That's really, really important to be in the now because the past is gone, the future's not here. You you need to be in the now. Very, very good, very important. Um, you have four questions you ask yourself. What are those questions? Um, you mean um, uh, what? What is that? What are the questions in terms of uh, how do you uh, how do you find what's really important to you? Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, the, these these are questions that I would say that they they sound simple, but um, you really need to think. And I'll tell you what they are in a second. You really need to think about them at a moment. Uh, when you're all by yourself and quiet, uh, I don't care whether it's at the seashore, on a mountain, uh, at the beach, or whatever, or even in your room. But it needs to be—you need to practice uh, just listening to the question. And what I will tell you is, when I tell you the questions, you may not know the answer right away, but you will move into the answer if you listen. If you ask that question daily, it may take a week, a month. It certainly won't take a year, but it'll take a little bit of time, and you will. If you're really honest with yourself, you'll know the answer. So uh, the first question is, um, what do I most love to do? So much so that time passes incredibly quickly. Okay. Now, this is not an exercise in, in, <clears throat> in trying to find your next job. I mean, you really need to think about what is the answer to that question. The second question is, what work do I do or have I done in the past that I do not consider work? All of us have done something in the past where we're doing so. I don't care whether you're working on your car. Uh, some some guys are, are real mechanic things. They they have hobbies like that, and they forget to eat uh, dinner or whatever the case may be. Or you're if you're an artist and you like doing painting and you forget what time it is. What what have you done that you don't consider work? The time passes. And then the third question: um, What could I do that would create the greatest value? for the world around me as well as the greatest personal satisfaction for me for the time spent. And the, the last one is what is my unique ability, uh, my skill or skills, a set of skills, which if I truly actualize them could provide significant benefits to the organization for which I work, to the world, and to me for that matter. So those are questions, they sound simple. But you really need to think about what is the fundamental answer to those questions. And in doing that, when you move into those answers, uh, you, will, you will see that um, you can begin to find your, your true 
passion in life. In fact, if I may, uh, Sabrina, maybe I can uh, tell you, I, I've developed what I call um, a fulfillment formula. And it, it's it's kind of a, a sequence uh, that you go through to find basically uh, your basic fulfillment in life. Would you like me yes, to please. express that? Yes. Okay. So the first thing is that uh, it's important to understand your life purpose because if you do, it, it can lead you to long-term fulfillment. And, you know, what is it that we all want? All of us want to be fulfilled in life. That's it. And when that fulfillment, when you balance it between your personal and your professional lives, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about that later, mm-hmm. that's what leads to com- complete fulfillment. Now, here's the formula. The first thing is every single one of us has something inside of you that you, I call your personal essence. It's something that you're good at. You made it, and, and it's something that you, you may even discover when you're a young boy or a young girl. Um, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll sort of give you an example of me as a young kid and, and how this led to fulfillment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered when I was nine years old, my father bought me a chemistry set because he wanted me to be a medical doctor. I didn't want to be a medical doctor. But after I got through all the shenanigans that boys do, fireworks and uh, stink bombs and all that sort of stuff, in the library, I discovered a book called A Thousand Recipes for Useful Things. And I brought that home, and I had this little laboratory in the cellar of our home, and I started making adhesives and cosmetics and glues. And I um, I lived in a neighborhood uh, in North Elizabeth, New Jersey, near the runways of what is now International um, Newark International Airport. It was a, a relatively poor, and I started bottling uh, these cosmetics and perfumes that I was making with uh, my own chemistry set and things I would buy from the drugstore. And um, people were buying them, and they were buying them because they couldn't afford to buy them in a in a department store. So. I felt this incredible sense of purpose. Wow, I'm making this stuff, this technology with my chemistry set, and people are paying me money for it. It wasn't even the money. It was that I was somebody was willing to pay for it. So I got very passionate. And what that leads to is a, an incredible amount of physical and emotional energy when you're passionate. And my mother had to tell me to get out of the cellar, stop spending so much time in that laboratory. And, and that ultimately leads to creativity, innovation, and you get a return. The return may be, um, it may be financial, it may be spiritual, it may be emotional, psychological, but whatever that return is, it causes gratitude, and that gratitude is what causes lasting fulfillment. Incredible. Great story. So the first one, find something you're good at, and the second one? And the second one is connected with a need in the world, something that would make the world a little bit better. And I don't care whether you're brewing beer or you're in a a genetic engineering company or you're a chemical engineer, whatever. There's always a way to connect what you do to make life a little bit better for someone. And you'll feel good about that. And when you feel good about that, your passion will lead you in the right directions. Exactly. And number three? And number three would be to um, basically, actually, once you have your essence and you connect it with a need, you will have found your purpose, and that will create passion, and that passion gives rise to energy, physical and emotional energy. And when when you got that emotional energy, um, your creativity goes up exponentially. You be, you begin to solve challenges. When we were building a company up to 2,000 people, Catalytica, um, we had to solve some tough problems. The reason we could do that is because we were so excited about 
our vision. Basically, in the pharmaceutical business, that we one of our key businesses, which became the largest part of Catalytica, we were developing technology to make drugs cheaper and cleaner. So it had an, an a, um, a economical and an ecological impact, and that made all of us, all the employees, feel good. So that that creativity that that um, really leads to the ability to solve some tough problems, and you feel grateful and fulfilled, and uh, and I think that's what drives most of us. The last thing, though, I think is very important, is that when you have this plan, and I explain about all of this in detail in in the book in in balance, you really need to manage it with what I call a values-based life plan, and. And to put that together the first time is a little bit of work. But once you have it once, every year when you update it, it's real easy. And that plan really cuts across six areas that are important to you, to everybody. The first is your professional life. You know, what's really important? What are your values in your professional life? And then to set up the goals and action items. And I show you how to do that. The second is financial. What, how important is financial aspect of your life to you? The third is relationships, your family, your friends, whatever, acquaintances. How important is that? The, the fourth is spiritual. And, you know, what's, and I don't mean necessarily religious, but what is sacred to you? What do you hold sacred in your life? Um, the fifth is health. What about your health? How do, what, what's important to you in terms of exercise and maintaining your health? And the, and, the, and the sixth is knowledge. What's important to you in terms of learning, continuous learning? And what I show you in um, Balance the Business Life Connection is how to develop this, um, this time management plan uh, that's based on your values, not on what you think it should be, but what's really important to you. And when you connect that in the matrix of your your purpose and, and your what, what you really want to do to lead a fulfilled life, it allows you to manage your life to get to where you want to be that causes you, um, you know, long-lasting fulfillment. And I don't mean for a second, Sabrina, that uh, you need to feel or anybody can feel fulfilled every second of the day. I mean, we all have down days. We all have things that happen and that have to be dealt with. Um, but as you look back over a week, a month, a year, a couple of years, how do you feel about what you're doing? How do you feel about your life? And uh, I think that's the measure of, um, of, of, uh, of your success and gratitude. Yeah. And it goes right back to what you said in the beginning of uh, if you have the philosophy that you create your life, yes. then you can do something. And if, it, it sure beats the other philosophy because at least, at least you can go out there and start doing some stuff to change it. If you don't like what's going on right now. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, um, a very famous philosopher once said, it takes more energy to, leave, to live a terrible life than to live a good life. Oh. So why not live a good life, right? That's I mean, so true. I want to, uh, you're so full of information. We <laughs> um, may have to talk to you uh, in a year or so and just get, get some more questions answered. But I'm wondering on the, the things that you've been talking about, a lot of the women listening are um, in management leadership positions. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how, how do you... Would you, do you use this type of philosophy with your employees? Yeah, and, <clears throat> you know, and and I have to be honest about this because you know when we first started, and I we left Exxon and joined up with a professor at Stanford University and set up our little company in in Palo Alto, California, and then eventually built it into a big company. Um, you know, we didn't 
we didn't have it all together. I mean, we basically, we wanted to understand how can you build a great company that makes a difference in the world. That was the one thing that we wanted from the beginning. We wanted to do something that would make a positive difference in the world. And then we, with the guidance of a lot of good people along the way, we learned about what we call inspired leadership. And inspired leadership, um, inspired leaders, they're not necessarily anointed or appointed. And but the difference is between and and they you can choose to be a leader. You don't have to be the CEO of a company. There are things you can do that will make you stand out as a leader in your team, in your division, whatever the case may be. The difference is there are three ways to look at uh, work. The first is it's a job, and there's nothing wrong with that. There are a lot of people that have a job. They and basically. What's really important is that they get a paycheck at the end of the week and they, they have to pay their mortgage or whatever the case may be. That's fine. The next level is a career. What do I want to do uh, to reach a certain set of goals so that I can have prestige and, uh, and salary or whatever the case may be and, and advancement? There's nothing wrong with that either. But the highest level of these three is, is a calling. And everybody can, if you know your life purpose, you can get this. A calling is basically the intrinsic value of what you do is so important to you that you want to, want to make a positive difference in the world. And what I have found, Sabrina, is that you know I never set out to make a lot of money. I set out to make a positive difference in the world, to follow my passion. And as a consequence, like many other people, Steve Jobs, uh, who actually was my neighbor in Palo Alto four or five years uh, of Apple Computer, he... Um, well, you can name it, probably five dozen CEOs who never set out to make a lot of money. They set out to do something that would make a difference in the world. So I think inspired leadership, once you found your life purpose and you pursue your dream and passion, you will inspire others by the, the, your passion. You know, I, you know you've probably gone to a, a party or something or met a person and they're passionate about something. And it's not something that you're even interested in. Who knows what it may be? Collecting bottle caps, I don't know. But whatever it is, they're so passionate that when they talk about it with such energy, it connects with you. So if you're passionate about what you do and you have found your dream and your life purpose, you will galvanize people around you to do incredible things. And then as an inspired leader, the, the, the last thing you need to do is to be committed to all the stakeholders. And I didn't say shareholders. I really said stakeholders. And that means to all the employees in the co company, to your customers, to the investors in the company, and even to your suppliers, to the community, and ultimately to the world. If you do those things, um, you can't help but be successful um, at what you pursue. That, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I want to ask you about long-term happiness and how it relates to being an inspired leader. And let me just tell you a little story. I've got somebody that I'm, I'm, I do executive coaching, and I've got somebody uh -huh. I'm working with right now that has a very large initiative that they need to uh, roll out or this particular company is not going to make it financially. Mm -hmm. And this person um, has a pretty negative attitude and is very unhappy. <laughs> wow. I'm saying, you know, this is not going to work. There's no way to do this. And I'm yeah. wonder if you could relate that to how how important it is as an inspired leader to keep working on your own inner happiness and how that relates to your employees. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, just like passion um, moves as an uh, invisible energy to those people around you, so does negative energy. And um, there are some people that say that you shouldn't really be around people that have negative energy. They even have a word for them. They they call them negative energy vampires. Right, right. <laughs> so uh, it's unfortunate because um, this person really needs to sit for a moment and find out why am I unhappy? Is it a, is it out of fear? Is it out of fear of it not happening? Because once you know why you're unhappy, you can begin to address it. But if you walk around with that on your shoulder. Um, it's going to be extremely visible to others around you, felt by others around you, and it becomes a, a self-fulfilling p- prophecy. Um, I think you know people don't realize, and I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to make a, a big thing about uh, creating your reality, except that I really, really believe it. Everything I've ever done in my life is because I wanted to do it. And when you think positively and you pursue and you're tenacious and courageous about what's important to you, Somehow, the things you make, the things fall in line. You just go in the right direction, and maybe there's an invisible force that's helping you. I don't know, but you know we don't know, understand everything in this universe. But I have seen it in many other people's lives. When you do that, uh, you make it all fall in, in place. And on the converse, if you're negative and and uh, and worrying about failure, um, you will find failure. I mean, and and that's really unfortunate because you'll drag other people with you. So you have Contagious. to find a way. So the whole team's going to get impacted, whether you're being positive and you have a good attitude, or you're being negative and you have a lousy attitude. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, it's you know, all of us have felt fear. I mean, you know, and you just have to find a way to pull yourself up by your bootstraps by envisioning the positive and what you want to do. And you know, it may take a, a day or so of going away and just relaxing and uh, thinking about how you can deal with the issue and putting it in perspective. Because very often, as human beings, we exaggerate um, various issues as being much more negative than they possibly can be. So I think uh, it's important to to deal with fear and uh, and get rid of it because um, uh, fear just leads to failure. I I really like what you're saying. If if you... If you don't like your attitude, if you're negative, if things aren't working the way you want them to work, don't just keep doing what you're doing, but actually take a break and right. start thinking about what's going on and and make a commitment to shift that in yourself. Yeah, and, and, and then you become, when you shift that and you become excited about what you're doing, you can become an inspired leader. And what they do is they help others move closer to their human potential. And that's what your your the people around you want to do they they really want to be able to perform and do things that are important and so that the those that they serve or or interact with they, um, they not only exhibit outstanding performance but they make the world a better place so the key is to find your passion live your dream and do everything you can uh to push the negative energy out of your life yes be realistic i'm not suggesting that you have to make believe that things that aren't true are true, but it's always possible to deal with fear. I have a whole chapter in in uh, in, uh, in balance, uh, the business life connection on how uh, fear can be be negative and how a positive energy can be so powerful. And I, I really encourage people to deal with that. I, I I'm in total agreement with you. I'm 
you have a really different way of, of giving a performance review. Could you please explain that? Sure. Um, yeah, this is something that we developed at Catalytica over, I don't know, 10 years. And it really, uh, first of all, it requires a corporate culture that, that's, uh, I would say, open and respectful of honest and, com a good word, compassionate input to both the employee and, if you want to call it, the manager or the supervisor. So the manager, and, and in this kind of culture, the manager and, or the supervisor and the employee, they see themselves as key parts of their team. And in the best situation, they see themselves as one. They, they really are very, very important. So what we did is um, we came up with a list of, of questions, 20 questions, and the, the 20 questions, and they're, they're outlined in the book, and they, they basically are designed to allow the employee to look at what he or she has done over the year and what they are excited about and what they're not so excited about. Thoughts are to try to make, uh, make this uh, deal with these in, say, the next year. But there's also a list of questions about what the employee can feedback to the um, uh, to the supervisor or the manager so that that person can become even more effective in the future so it's a it's kind of I think you know it's it's not exactly what we, what some people call a 360 per, uh, performance review it's it's a little bit more uh, intimate than that and so these 20 questions are, are outlined in the book and um, and I would say, and some of them are in bold. The bold ones are ones that you reserve for, for management, but the other, I think four or five of them are in bold uh, print. They're for managers, but the others are well, for any employee. And we found that uh, as a way of the employee feeling in control of how did I do this year? What what can I do that to make it to be better next year? And what are the things I expect of the company or my supervisor to help me? What are the things that he or she did that made it easier, and what are the things that made it a little bit more challenging? And uh, and when they work that out, they both become a better team uh, in, 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 as they grow together. So what's different is they're coming up with their own performance review. Exactly. And they're they're telling what what worked, what didn't work for them, or the, what they're excited about. And they're also giving feedback to the manager or the people above them on right. what they can do to help them be more effective this next year. Exactly. Now, one of the things we did do is uh, <clears throat> we gave courses. Um, we had people come in and give lectures, lectures on how to be a good listener because it's really important that you are a very good listener in, in, a, in a dialogue like this because you need to, and, and by listening, it means what I said earlier, listening to understand, not just to hear what the other person says because you want to understand what's in their soul so that you can help them and that they can help you. And that's very important uh, to, to, to be a good listener. Unbelievably important. So when, when the person is doing this, um, they, they fill this out. Are they giving it to their manager, and does the manager give them feedback, or is it just one way? Oh no, it's both ways. In fact, um, what happens is um, the employee gets this uh, form like two weeks before, and of course the, the the manager has it as well. And the employee uh, takes time to fill it out and gives it to the manager at least a week before that they sit down and have a dialogue. And and then uh, in that dialogue, um, they go through the questions, and the manager also gives his or her input 
to the employee about um, what um, not only uh, the input, I'm sorry, the, the manager also uh, requests input from the employee and will have seen it in writing, how can I be a better manager or supervisor for you? What can I do that will make me a better person in the future? And so that they have the opportunity then to discuss this. Uh, can you give me any, any uh, ideas about uh, what, what I might do to, uh, to make this happen in the coming year? Excellent. You, um, you had a, a section in your book where you talked about a company that did love notes, and I found that really interesting. Could oh, you yeah. talk about that, and did you use this in your company? Oh, we we didn't do that, but um, uh, this particular company was in San Francisco, and they, they, they were very avant-garde, but um, they found it very effective. They had a culture. They came out of... Um, the the electronics not electronics industry but um, the software industry for games in fact I think even one of their games won an Emmy award um, but they um, they came up with uh, or the CEO came up with let's let's have an intra um, uh, intranet where whenever an employee does something with you and you like what they've done just type three or four lines as a, what we called love note and send it. Uh, and so the employees would collect all of these, and when they sound, sat down for a dialogue with their supervisor, they would pull out, you know, the, a dozen or so of these things that they thought were really important that described what they did well, and would share them with the uh, because these were always um, many of these things were uh, sometimes anonymous, but they would share them with the uh, the supervisor, and that was something that was very interesting. We didn't do that. Um, our, our culture was. I would say a little bit less Silicon Valley like that, but it worked. What, what we did with these 20 questions worked very well. Uh-huh. Um, do you have time for one more question? Oh, sure. Okay. Absolutely. Um, how important is it to serve the community as an inspired leader? And how do you I, weave uh, this into your business? I think it's very important. Um, and, you know, there's an old saying, what goes around comes around. And, and that's not necessarily the reason we did it. We did it because... Our, our vision was to make a positive difference in the world with the technology we were doing and developing and commercializing. So it was kind of natural for us, uh, for us to want to support our community. But let me give an example. We, when we were starting in the pharmaceutical area of manufacturing, um, our research center was in Mountain View, California, and we bought a plant uh, in East Palo Alto. And East Palo Alto is not Palo Alto, California. It's a low-income uh, community where there was a fair amount of uh, unemployment at the time, and uh, so I went personally to the mayor before we bought this plant, and I said, you know, we're going to do everything we can to hire people from East Palo Alto, and not only are we going to hire them, but we're going to train them so that they have the highest probability of success, and that went a long way to having the support of the community in everything we did. And we indeed wound up ultimately about uh, 70 to 80 percent of our employees in manufacturing uh, came from East Palo Alto. And it took time on our part to train these folks because some of them didn't even have a high school education. But in the manufacturing area, that wasn't critical. We're successful in doing that. And I think it's really important to do that. Uh, so the jobs area is one. And then if you're successful financially, giving something back, back in some way, shape, or form that you can afford that helps the community. It's just really the right thing to do. It's beautiful, and it's, it, it, 
is um, a great example of you, you went in and you said, this is what we're going to do for you. You didn't go in and say, what can you do for us? <laughs> no, that, no, that's right. I mean, yeah. in fact, I just wanted them to know because uh, without mentioning a name, a very large company owned the plant before us and um, the, uh, the the mayor wasn't totally happy with uh, with this particular company. So I wanted her, uh, her name was Rose Gibson and she was the mayor of East Palo Alto at the time, I wanted Rose to know that we were going to be very supportive of what's important to them and it would be good for all of us. And, and so, uh, you know, it was great. It worked out well. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. And My pleasure. Maybe uh, a year from now we can come back and find out what else you're into and get some more wonderful advice from you. Well, uh, Sabrina, I'd be happy to do that because um, I'm, my my particular uh, passion right now, and it has been for a very long time, is to do whatever I can. The universe has been good to me. I, I want to do what I can to share what I know, and hopefully it will be helpful to somebody out there, and that will make me feel good and uh, feel a sense of fulfillment and gratitude. Well, I'm sure many women are going to be helped by this, and men too. Thank you so much. My pleasure. To get free sample chapters of my new program, The Winning Career Video Training, go to www.womensleadershipsuccess.com, sign up on the form that appears on the screen after a moment. And thanks for listening. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.